TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. Welcome to the podcast. You're listening to TalkLine with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now your host. Welcome back to the program. I'm Zev Brenner. It's been, I won't say how many years, but it's been a while since we last had our last, our current guest on the air, Thomas Rose. He's currently, he's just recently, I should say, served as chief strategist and senior advisor to vice president Mike Pence during the whole administration of the Trump term. And uh, his portfolio draws upon long experience in the private and public sectors in the U.S. and abroad. His duties entail the full spectrum focus on helping the vice president implement the president's America first agenda and keep the United States safe. He interacted with, uh, daily with key White House officials. He originally was from Minneapolis, where he served in government there. He actually also was, I wouldn't say a competitor, but he worked in television, radio, and print journalism. And uh, he was involved in many different uh, newspaper projects, including having been the CEO and publisher of the Jerusalem Post, where I last interacted with him. He's done a popular uh, talk show on Sirius Radio, and he authored the 2010 bestseller book, Big Miracle, and is one of the top Orthodox Jews in the White House during the Trump years. So good to have you, Tom. Good to speak with you again. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a pleasure to be with you, Zeb. And I also want to thank Ushi Tannelbaum for helping reconnect us and putting together our segment. So thank you, Ushi. So I'm sure it was very hectic. Was, was, would you say the four years that you were in the White House, the most tumultuous, the most exciting, but also the most pressure of all the years you've been in, in service? No, oh, absolutely. There's no question about it. There's nothing that compares or can compare to uh, the energy and the drive that's needed to sustain yourself in a situation like that where um, literally every single day was uh, us against the world in, in every sense. I mean, we had <clears throat> the establishment uh, of every key institution in the country out for our heads on a daily basis. So, you know, we're sitting in our offices, Evan, you turn on the TV and it's like there are three television networks that are covering your workplace environment <laughs> it's just, just utterly bizarre and we would we would watch and listen to these frenetic portrayals of our work environment that had absolutely no resemblance whatsoever to what any of us were experiencing it was it was surreal um, give us an example because you were living in one reality saying the television was a different one just give us some blatant examples that you encountered well impeachment number two which was the mother of all frauds, um, was a, a classic case where something was concocted out of whole cloth, a simple phone call that was listened to by when a president speaks on a, you, you know this, but some of your listeners might not, when a, when a president makes a phone call, he doesn't just pick up the phone and say, hey, Zev, how's it going? Um, these phone calls have to be um, uh, protocoled. There are all kinds of uh, people that are involved in setting up the call, making sure the lines are secure, and then down in the basement of the White House in what's called the Situation Room, there are a bunch of uh, people, uh, staff agents from different agencies that are on the call listening to the call. So when the president speaks to the president of Ukraine on our end, I think 
and you might remember this better than I do, I think there were 31 or 30 people that on our end were listening to the call, monitoring the call in the Situation Room and at White House Signal Corps. Um, so if there was any you know, untoward aspect of the phone call, um, it would have been instantly and immediately uh, reported and corroborated by many people. This was a case where there was one person who heard about the call, not from the actual call itself, but third party, a friend of a friend, right? Um, and it it gestated, it ballooned into this um, second attempt to remove a duly elected president from office. And it had nothing to do with a Ukraine phone call, had nothing to do with Zelensky, had nothing to do with Hunter Biden. It was all part of an attempt to destroy the presidency, to destroy the president using any conceivable possible pretext. Now, during that course, did they try to did they try to drive a wedge between Vice President Pence and Donald Trump, or did they try to destroy him as well? Well, it was it's it's a twofer because if you destroy Donald Trump, you then by definition destroy Mike Pence. But yes, absolutely, we were very involved in the middle of that because uh, we had. Uh, just come back from a trip to Poland where uh, we uh, coincidentally also uh, visited uh, Auschwitz for the second time um, as vice president. Uh, the 75th anniversary of, uh, I'm sorry, this, the 70th anniversary of the start of, no, it was the 80th anniversary of the start of Second World War uh, ceremonies in Warsaw where we met with the Ukrainian president Um and that got caught up in it. You know, what did we demand and what did we, which is all baloney because we didn't do any of that stuff. I was in all those meetings. You know, these are all pre-scripted. There's very little spontaneity in any of these formal official gatherings. Um, when you walk in, they tell you where to sit and the two principals have statements and they exchange them and there's media there. And um, uh, it's, it's the most unspontaneous of of gatherings, and yet it it became the source of an impeachment trial, which literally was taking place as we were first confronting uh, this strange new virus from China. Now, first, first of all, how'd you end up working for Vice President Pence? Um, the Vice President and I have been very, very close personal friends for thirty plus years. We're both from Indiana. Um, We've known each other since before the start of either, either of our careers. Um, so it predates um, any, you know, any public um, recognition of, of, uh, of either of us, frankly. And we've just been extremely close personal friends. Our families are very close um, uh, for, you know, since we were just out of... Uh, college and law school i assume you're still in touch with him i <laughs> every day yeah. every day is he planning because there's a speculation that he was maybe considering running for president uh in about three years hence is that uh, something that he's thinking about well i i can't speak for the vice president i can only speak for myself i sure as heck hope he's thinking about it um i sure as heck hope he's uh seriously contemplating it i think everything does at this stage uh, depend upon the intent 
this is just me speaking, by the way. This mm-hmm. is I'm not in any way uh, attempting to speak for the vice president. But I, I think uh, personally everything in the Republican field depends upon uh, the intent uh, of the president. Uh, if he runs again, I think he'll have a clear field. I don't think anybody uh, on our side will challenge him. If he doesn't, uh, that changes things. And if he doesn't, I would certainly hope, uh, strongly urge um, and strongly encourage the vice president to run. And I don't think he'll need much encouragement. I think he'll run if the president doesn't. Uh, but that's just my uh, my assessment. Now, the Vice President Pence is a loyal person, from what I can see. I never met him, but just reading and watching him, he was stuck, you know, and helped, you know, the president with the policies and was a loyal soldier. On January 6th, did things change because the president turned on him and expected him to uh, not confirm Joe Biden as the president, and uh, he was disappointed. He said to people through some very strong language. There was even reports that he abandoned him to the crowd on January 6th. What really happened? Uh, well, that, a lot of that is um, a lot of this media hyperbole. Um, I think it's, it's very fair to say that uh, the president and the vice president had pretty different interpretations about what happened on January the 6th, which was um, an inexcusable uh, mob broke into the Capitol. Um, and that, as bad as it was, that's all it was. It obviously was not an insurrection. Um, it was a mob that, that broke into the Capitol, that um, the Capitol Police lost control of if they ever attempted to exert any control. The uh, vice president, I was I was actually with him for several of those hours that day in the Capitol. Um, Did you feel like you were going to be, no, be harmed anyway? Because that's Never. the media no, report no, where they no. felt that the vice president was in danger and the president uh, abandoned him. I, I can't speak for what the vice president personally felt. I was with him, uh, and I know that, that um, no, that I personally felt absolutely no threat or risk. These were... A bunch of people that broke into the Capitol, running through the halls, screaming, taking pictures, um, you know, wanting selfies. Uh, it, it at no point did I personally feel the slightest bit of, of personal risk to my safety. Um, the Secret Service, which obviously uh, protects the president and vice president very aggressively, uh, takes every conceivable threat and risk extremely seriously. Um, these are people, for instance, that when we were in Israel, the president wanted to, uh, or the vice president wanted to tour the uh, Minarot in uh, Yerushalayim, and the Secret Service wouldn't let him. You know, why not? Because, uh, sir, you're not allowed to go underground. What? Yes, that's our protocol. No president or vice president is ever allowed to go underground. Uh, what about a parking garage? Well, we have to assess the structural capacity of the parking garage. So, I mean, it's that kind of thing. So, when they hear people running around, you know, in the White House and screaming and yelling and breaking windows and taking selfies and hanging off of statues, uh, they go nuts. So they um, super secreted the vice president. They covered him, protected him. He's got an office. The vice president has an office, a permanent office, uh, as the president of the Senate, which is one of the 
the constitutional responsibilities of a vice president. And we were just sitting in the office. You know, I went down a couple of times to uh, there's a canteen of, of uh, to buy sodas and, and, you know, junk food like that for some of our staff people. Uh, so I get out of the bubble, so to speak, and just and there was no absolutely no I, I felt no personal risk. I mean, it was we didn't realize um I guess how <clears throat> I guess the extent of uh, the physical damage that had been done to the building, which wasn't that great actually, a bunch of windows and offices torn up. I mean, it was a it was a horrendous uh, breakdown of of uh, order and a very uh, um, it was a you know a terrible thing for us to have to leave office with, um, but it was it was monumental uh, shemaim for our opponents and our enemies, because now they could portray everyone that voted for President Trump as, you know, some kind of a Neanderthal uh, behemoth that, that uh, has no respect for the rule of law and breaks into, I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a terrible day. There's no question about it. Right. But at no point did you feel in danger? You were with the vice president. You were, not in the least. No, not so, in the least. Because, no. cause again, just to reiterate, the way the media portrayed it is Correct. that the vice president was in danger and he could have been harmed, and he, the president well, abandoned it, well, him. Correct. Now, the um, the Secret Service uh, certainly felt he was in danger because whenever you have people that are running around um, screaming and yelling and breaking windows and who've already demonstrated uh, their ability to break laws, to trespass, to vandalize, um, that is a super loud red alarm bell for the Secret Service. They take that extremely seriously, regard that as a serious threat. They acted appropriately and accordingly, attempted to get the vice president out of the building. And I'll say this, you know, without revealing too many secrets um, to you, Zev, but... Um, Vice President was extremely reluctant uh, to listen to him. They wanted him out of the building, and the Vice President's, you know, I'm the Vice President of the United States. I'm here to uh, preside over a, a duly constituted session of the Senate. Uh, it's my job. I'm not going anywhere. And they said, sir, you know, we, must, uh, well, we must extricate you from the building. They got him downstairs. Uh, there's a car there. Sir, we need you in the car. We need you in the car. At which point the Vice President says, I'm not getting in the car. Uh, sir, we must have you in the car. I'm not getting in the car. Why aren't you getting in the car? Because I know if I get in the car, I lose whatever power or authority I have over you, and you're going to drive me away. So I'm not getting in the car. So they went back upstairs, and uh, uh, other people were uh, in his party were were uh, removed, uh, but he stayed. So he didn't leave at, at that point in January. So he stayed throughout. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're speaking with Thomas Rose. Uh, he is... Formerly the chief strategist and senior advisor of Vice President Pence. He has a distinguished career in broadcast journalism, both radio and TV, and he was the CEO and the publisher of the Jerusalem Post. And we'll talk about what he's doing when we come back after the following message. Don't go away. You're listening to the Talk Line Network. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Talkline Radio and TV with Zeb Brenner is just phenomenal. Everybody concerned about the Jewish community should listen and watch. He has the best guests. He asks the most interesting questions. He's always so well prepared. It's talk radio and television from a Jewish point of view at its very best. 
To advertise on the TalkLine network and TalkLine's email and social media blasts reaching over 70,000 people, please call 212-769-1925, extension 100. That's 212-769-1925, extension 100. Or email info at TalkLineNetwork.com. You're listening to TalkLine with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. Here is your host. Welcome back to the program. I'm Zev Brenner. Our guest is Tom Rose. He's formerly the chief strategist and senior advisor to Vice President Michael Pence during the Trump administration. Uh, he's been involved in broadcasts and television, radio, print reporter. He was the CEO and the publisher of the Jerusalem Post. He hosts a very popular show on Sirius Radio, and he's still involved in the community and one of the top Orthodox Jews during the Trump administration. Would you say the administration had more Orthodox Jews than any that we can remember? Well, it's funny. Um, I get asked that question a lot, and it was it was so common that I didn't you, you don't even notice. I mean, there were a bunch of keepers in the White House, mostly younger people. I was clearly the oldest person. Um, <clears throat> and you but, always wore uh, a keep, I should say, the pictures of you always, sure, wearing sure, a keep sure. on, on, on duty. Sure. Um, there were I mean, I don't know how to compare or contrast. Uh, with other administrations, but it's hard for me to imagine um, that there were could possibly have been more uh, Orthodox Jews in any other administration than in ours. Um, but it wasn't us who drove the president's pro-Israel, pro-Jewish policies. It was the president, you know. And people ask, well, what impact did you have as an Orthodox Jew? And my answer is always uh, none or virtually next to nothing. This was... Um, we were afterthoughts. This was this was the president. Uh, it's the president's commitment. It's the vice president's commitment. Um, you know, our greatest supporters and advocates and defenders and proponents anymore, sadly, aren't Jews. It's evangelical Christians who are um, ferociously loyal, undaunted, unafraid, unapologetic. They have none of our neuroses or none of our uh, second guessing or self doubt. Uh, they drove this administration. I sat in meeting after meetings of, uh, uh, during our construction of, of the Path to Prosperity, Peace to Prosperity, Jared Kushner's uh, Palestinian Peace Plan and the subsequent Abraham Accords. Um, and the Jewish groups would always say, we're not going far enough. And the Christian groups would always say, if you push this too far, we're out. You know, it was just, it was surreal. It was actually, it was magnificent for the first time in our history. Um, yeah, we, yeah a, lot of people, a lot of pro-Israel people around. Oh, my goodness, yes. How many evangelicals were in the administration? Lots. Lots. I mean, oh, yeah. Um, particularly on the domestic side, the NSA side and the NSC side, the national security side and the defense side, um, was much more professional, which is to say career people. Uh, who regard administrations as the Christmas help, so to speak. They're in and out where these people are professionals. But on the domestic policy side, uh, certainly in our office, I would say most, a majority, were evangelical. Wait, did you have a minion by any chance any day? Did you have enough for that? We did a couple of times. Um, we had um, Rebbe Levi Shemtov, who was kind of was our kind of Rebbe, if you will, um, we had uh, Purim Minyanim. We had um, uh, 
there on occasion when an Israeli delegation was in, we'd have a Minhamarov if it was late enough. Uh, that usually happened, I think, a couple of times in the winter. Um, we had a Minhamarov after uh, a day long when the Israel, Prime Minister Netanyahu, then Prime Minister Netanyahu, came for a, uh, a bilateral meeting, a luncheon, uh, all of which was kosher. You know, we had a, a little kosher kitchen in the White House. It was actually, it was, it was marvelous. It was beyond. Um, oh, you had a kosher kitchen in the White House. We did. We did. We didn't use it a lot, but uh, it was uh, there. It was there full time or just on special? Yeah, full time. A full time. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Did, did BB come to your minion when you had it when he was in town? I don't remember. Uh, no, I don't think so. No, um, yeah. I didn't think so either, but I was just curious. <laughs> but but it's smart that you had a kosher kitchen. Was the kosher yeah. kitchen before President Trump came in? Or no, no. We, uh, first of all, the kitchen facilities in the White House are, uh, these things are massive. I mean, because they entertain, you know, thousands of people. These these are industrial scale, commercial style kitchens. And there's a, you know, they created a big well, I wouldn't say big. I'm not much of a chef or anything, but uh, a large um, section of one of the ante rooms that was a fully functional, uh, very capable, commercial size kosher kitchen um, that that would, you know, we'd order lunches out of there and stuff, the sandwiches and salads, cold foods, uh, but for official events or functions. Um, that place could whip up, you know, hundreds of uh, hundreds of servings. Wow, that, that's amazing thing. Yeah, that you had it there. Wow, it sounds like uh, there should be a book coming out about <laughs> what it was like, you know, being Jewish and kosher. Now, was there a seder in the White House? Because during the Obama administration, made a big point of saying there was a seder in the White House. Was there a seder during the Trump years? No, no, for an obvious reason, because these Orthodox seder, Jews, right? Right. First of all, nobody would be there. Secondly, the Obama satyrs were terribly politicized. Um, the, you know, akadot that they would read would be made up or constructed or uh, they were politicized attempts to ingratiate themselves to the left, um, you know, to position Judaism as this left wing um, religion, which say what you will about Judaism. I don't think it's right wing or left wing. Um, it is what it is. Um, we did not have uh, Sadarim uh, in the White House. There were, um, I'm trying to think, you know, maybe there was, um, was at there one point during uh, COVID, when everything was locked down or shut down, the White House was, was shut down. So we certainly didn't do anything then. But there was, there were, um, like during Cholamoed, there were uh, when normally everything was closed, they did have um, uh, like box lunches and stuff like that because for the months preceding uh, Pesach the year before last, there was um, you know everything was closed, so they had all kinds of time to kosher a section of that kitchen. But I don't think that we didn't have any sadarim or anything. Uh -huh. Now, did you have a sukkah? <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, let's go. For, absolutely. You had a absolutely. sukkah. The, where was the sukkah? Absolutely. The yeah. sukkah was outside the chief of staff's office in the West Wing, and the chief of staff, um, you know, it was like living in South America. You get up in the morning, you find out the weather and who your new chief of staff is. We had a bunch, 
but he has like a <clears throat> chief of staff's office, which is um, on the second floor of the West Wing, which um, it's actually the first floor, but you come in like underground. So uh, he has like a big mirror a big, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, like a porch? Mirpe- or? Yeah, like a, a patio, a patio. Patio. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, that's where the sukkah was. Uh, wow. As far as you know, was that the first time a sukkah was in the White House? I, I think so, but I can't verify that i think so yes i'll have to speak to tevi troy my presidential historian to find there, that it, it, tevi will know tevi will definitely know <laughs> yeah frequent contributor to our program <laughs> now i want to get back to january 6 because did something change between the president and the vice president after january 6 because the vice president was on record saying that they'll never see eye to eye he won't see eye to eye with the president over what happened january 6 did it drastically affect their relationship as far as you know i don't think so um these two people were extraordinarily connected for four years, worked unbelievably closely together on everything, spoke eight, 10, 12 times a day. Um, when they were both in town, uh, they were together physically the entire days. Uh, when they traveled, they were on the phone constantly. There was constant communication. Um, any two human beings with that kind of contact and that kind of connection are not going to agree on every single thing. Um, the vice president is a ferociously loyal um, and faithful public servant. Um, I was as close to him almost as, as anybody during this period, and he never once, uh, during any of our you know familial private conversations, did he ever betray um, any of the counsel he offered to the president or any of the details of any private conversations, his private conversations with the president uh, uh, were always lock solid private. He never, never violated the sanctity of any of their communication. Um, and if they ever disagreed, and I'm not sure they did, frankly, but if they ever disagreed, those disagreements always stayed between themselves and, uh, no one knew better than the vice president than that his his role, his obligation, his function, his duty was to support the decisions of the president. So if they if they talked about a policy, talked about a position, talked about an approach or a strategy, the president made his decision. Uh, the vice president immediately became fully supportive and uh, committed to implementing and fulfilling whatever decision that was, whether he agreed with it or not. Because once the president made a decision, he stuck uh, with it. But, exactly. uh, but but January, he's quoted, and the vice president is quoted as saying, and he spoke to a Republican group in New Hampshire, and he said, quote, President Trump and I have spoken many times since we left office, and I don't know if we'll ever see eye to eye on that day, referring to yeah, January 6th. Fair. Yeah, I think that's very fair. They do have a different uh, interpretation of, of uh, what that day was, what it meant. Um, I think the they disagree. They disagree. I think the president uh, takes the view that it was – um, that the issue of uh, certifying the election gave the position of a vice president more authority, more leeway uh, than the vice president concluded. Uh, these were decisions uh, that the vice president entered into uh, with, with grave seriousness. There was uh, substantial uh, legal involvement uh, the vice president uh, studiously uh, 
sought legal counsel to determine what his constitutional options were. Um, and he concluded uh, that the advice of his counsel was correct and that as, as vice president, his options vis-a-vis certifying a presidential election were severely limited by the Constitution. And he stuck, um, to, and he stuck to his guns, though. Was correct. he upset that some Trump supporters were shouting, hang Mike Pence? Did of that... course. I mean, nobody likes to hear that. Of course he was. Sure he was. I was. <laughs> I, don't, no, I, don't I, 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 I don't know how upset he was, but I, I was upset. Now, the... Some of the media, and I think I just want to just reiterate a point you made earlier. Some of the media said that that because what happened January 6th, the vice president was forced to evacuate. But you're saying is he did not evacuate. Well, evacuate's the wrong word. Um, evacuate implies that he's taken out under cover of night or that he he was there for the morning and afternoon sessions. The Congress was adjourned, scheduled for... Um, uh, readjournment or commencement uh, at 8 p.m. that evening. So there was a four or five hour period uh, from the afternoon until the evening period when the, the Senate session resumed, the House and Senate sessions resumed, in which the vice president uh, uh, came back. Now, I'm not going to, uh, these are stories that are for the vice president to tell. Uh, so I'm not going to get into exactly where, how, what. He was at any particular uh, time of the day, other than to say that um, uh, he steadfastly fulfilled his duties. He was there uh, at every every moment when he needed to be there. Uh, there were family members there. They left. They came back. I left. I came back. Um, actually, I didn't come back. I left and did not come back that evening. But um, it, it, it was he was not spirited away. He was not quote unquote evacuated. That's a word that I. Um, that implies somehow that, um, which you said he before, he, he, he wanted to be there and he didn't let the secret service take him away. Did you suffer any consequences? Cause we live in such a bitter partisan divide in America where if you supported Donald Trump or part of the administration, people won't talk to you. Alan Dershowitz says he lost a whole bunch of people. In fact, he's forming his own Chabad in Martha's Vineyard because he can't Is go to any right? place else. We just told Is us that. that right? Yes, That's yes, yes. He's forming a Chabad there. Have you suffered any repercussions because you work for the vice president or part of the Trump team? I mean, socially, yeah, of course, I've got, yeah, I could joke about it. I've got family members that, that don't speak to me, but um, <laughs> I'm not actively seeking for that situation to change. Um, <laughs> you said that was a blessing in this <laughs> <laughs> Um No, of course, absolutely. And there's a, um, uh, I'm, I'm back in Indiana, I live in Indiana, so it, it's, it's, it's different here than it would be certainly in Washington where there's, uh, such a disconnect between the mentality of the establishment class, those who rule over us, um, and the willingness even to accept that there are people who don't um, uh, don't accept your worldview. Um, uh, so, I mean, I'm back home in Indiana, and this is Trump country, definitely. So, so you love your coverage um, less, but if you go to Washington or New York, you oh, probably feel it oh, more. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. What can you describe some of your relationship and some of your meetings with President Trump? Um, well, I was uh, I was a senior staff member for the vice president. Um, my interactions with the president were 
always in a supportive staff role. Um, I would bet that if I was in a police lineup, the president could probably not identify me. He might be able to. Um, um, he, um, uh, he did, because I don't think he knew my name or could remember my name. He always referred to me as rabbi. Um, which of course I'm not, I mean, I'm anything. Is that because you wore a yarmulke? Is that yeah, way? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And he would always wish me a good Shabbos, whether it was a Tuesday morning or a Monday <laughs> afternoon or a Wednesday night, it was always good Shabbos rabbi, um, or Shabbat Shalom rabbi, uh, which kind of became a running joke. Um, so I then he could, he, he could pick you up during a police lineup, then he would call you rabbi. What are you doing here? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, he put me up in the line with, you know, in a in a in a police lineup with a bunch of Haredim from Flatbush or whatever. And, um, y- y- you know, I, I I wouldn't I don't have pay us so that he probably would be able to identify me from 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 that perspective. We're sitting with Thomas Rose, chief strategist and senior advisor, to vice president Pence. Uh, he's was a popular talk show host on Sirius Radio and he's been on radio and television and he's former presidency publisher and CEO of the Jerusalem Post. So Thomas Rose, what are you doing now? Um, a bunch of things and a whole lot of nothing and loving it uh, uh, equally. I um, am back in the newspaper business. I had a small newspaper publishing company that I um, had to hand off uh, my management responsibilities to during my tenure at the White House. Um, I'm doing some consulting for uh, some private equity and sovereign wealth interests, uh, looking for uh, energy investments in the United States and Israel. Uh, I'm doing some some uh, guest hosting talk radio on Sirius XM. Um, and uh, uh, I've got a uh, space policy fellowship at the Hudson Institute in Washington, which we're putting together now. The president reconstituted the National Space Council. Um, as you certainly know, Zev, and we've, um, one of our great successes, Trump administration's great successes, was to get America off its, off its keister uh, and back into space. So uh, we're trying to create an external uh, infrastructure to keep the momentum and pressure on the current White House uh, to insist that that our return to space is uh, is uh, permanent and sustainable. Maybe I don't know the answer to this question, but when you're talking about space, there was a, the head of the Israeli space um, mission or the space you know service in Israel. His name escapes me for the moment. He was he appeared for a while and he said that the Trump administration, the Israeli government, you know, worked out where they had a protocol dealing with extraterrestrials. I don't know if you saw that story. I, d- I didn't. And I and I spoke to our ambassador, you know, Danny Danone, who said he mm-hmm. worked for him and he said this person is not a kook. But he said there was some protocol between the United States and Israel dealing with the inter- in, in, out of space dealing with some of the aliens. So it it got some attention at the time, and I've been trying to reach him in Israel. He's not been able. To, I've not been able to do so. But you have no idea w- about the validity of that story. No, no. Maybe he's been abducted. Maybe you can't get a hold of him because <laughs> he's been abducted. By the- I, 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 I don't know. And I, um, I will say, and this is totally tangential to any, uh, any of the excellent questions you're asking. But when um, NASA released its findings on these um, unidentified um, uh, 
pilotless vehicles or whatever they call them, whatever the government speak is. Right, these are UFOs. Um, they change it to something right, else. Right, right. USPs or UAPs, unidentified. Anyway, it they came call out they call them Republicans now. <laughs> That's exactly right. When it came out, the report, you know, was ninety-six pages or whatever. And what did the report conclude? That these unidentified flying objects were unidentified. They don't know what they are. So you know, <laughs> who knows? Do you miss uh, government service? Any plans you run for? Of course, I love it. I loved it. It was a fabulous um, experience. I'll say this for the vice president: um, our staff was special. I mean, truly, extraordinarily special. Everything you read about the other side of the building—that is, the president's side—the um, turmoil, the tumult, the turnover—we had none of that. Absolutely none of that. It was. Um, it was a family. It really was. Now, um, uh, the energy required uh, demands people a lot younger than than I am. I was, you know, the oldest guy there, except for our national security advisor, General Keith Kellogg. But um, uh, these were just extraordinary young people, unbelievably committed, capable, qualified, passionate, devoted, dedicated. Um, I mean, the vice president's got many, many strengths, but his um, ability to identify, you know, through character and capability, um, people to fulfill a mission is is really one of his great strengths. And we appreciate your sharing your four years in the Trump White House. It sounds like the vice president wing was more stable than the presidential wing as far as <laughs> that, right? That's understatement of the year. But right. But you had a marvelous experience. We appreciate it. Was, well, it was a it was a it was a great honor to be with you in Shavuoto. Thank you. I should say good Shabbos to you. No matter what oh, day of the week, Shabbos. good Shabbos okay, to you. Right? Exactly. I'm, whenever I speak to you, Tom, I'm going to say good Shabbos. <laughs> good Shabbos, Rabbi. <laughs> Thomas Rose is our That's guest. Great. He's been dubbed. He's been he's been ordained by President Donald Trump. <laughs> I've got smicha from right. I've got. I've got Smika from Yeshiva-based Trump. That's it. <laughs> and, and you can use it in lots of different places, <laughs> I'm sure. Thomas Rosa worked with Vice President Mike Pence, and uh, he's a talk show host, radio host. He's on Sirius. We hope we'll bring him to the talk line. He does a great job, and he's written books, and he's still involved in Jewish life. They're one of the top Orthodox Jews during the Trump years in the White House. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. It was a great pleasure. And we're going to be right back. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hi, this is David Gabay, and you're listening to The Zev Brenner Show. Thanks for listening. For continuous Jewish programs, hawklinenetwork.com, or our 24-hour-a-day listen line at 641-741-0389. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms, or jewishpodcast.org. Thanks for listening to the TalkLineNetwork.com. TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community.